When Michelle was in elementary school, she had a pen pal. And for a while, their relationship existed only through letters. But then, Michelle met her pen pal in person. He had a great build, a sexy voice, and he had a smile that could melt, well, the hardest thing to melt in the world. (laughs) He was so good looking, and he was puberized. That's Michelle, clearly smitten with her elementary school pen pal. I'm Dan Meisner, and this... This is Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote As Kids. How are you doing? It is so nice to see you. This is a show where we go back in time to remember the good, the bad, and the awkward parts of growing up. This week, recorded live in Ottawa, we have an illustrated poem about a whale, a cautionary tale about agricultural entrepreneurship, and a Star Trek parody where all of the characters are cats. This stuff is weird, it is wonderful, and like a cute pen pal, it's worth keeping in touch with. So think about who you were when you were a kid and stick around. A minute ago, we heard from Michelle, who had a bit of a crush on her childhood pen pal. But that wasn't the only thing she wrote about in her journal. At our Ottawa show, Michelle shared a few more entries about 90s boy bands, movies, and a well-known Canadian actor. A quick heads up, Michelle uses a cuss word in her diary, which we do not bleep. Here's Michelle. So this is just before New Year's. Heidi Ho, I hope this entry does find you well. I mean, I should hope so, because really, when you think of it, I'm really only writing to myself. And or whomever else might have the rare pleasure of reading this. And in parentheses, oh yes, and for those of you other than me reading this, please excuse the horrible spelling and grammar mistakes. Anyway, tomorrow is New Year's Eve, and I thought to myself, I really haven't written anything, well, you know, cool, like stuff. Almost all my entries lately have been sort of reflective and not boring, but not exciting. So where to start tonight? First, I could tell you about this weird dream I had last night. Whoa, man. (laughs) Okay. It was... It was that Kevin from the Backstreet Boys (laughs) and I had some sort of passionate love affair, but then he left to move to Denver... (laughs) And his music took up most of his time, although for some reason he resented me when he left, yet he gave me a cell phone. (laughs) Anyway, moving along. This holiday season was pretty fun. For Christmas, I got some kick-ass gifts. Pure Disco 3 and Pure Funk. (laughs) I also got volumes one through five of the Air Farce. You know, they are funny. Oh yeah. And in volume five, Paul Gross guest stars. God, is he ever sexy? (laughs) And in that uniform, he is calm and cool, handsome, not to mention charming and funny. Let me tell you the things I wish I could do to him. (laughs) If you've ever seen him ride a horse, you know what I'm thinking of right now. I'm terrible. Anyway, moving right along. 
Christmas Day was pretty good. My cousin and I watched Swing Kids, then we watched Hunt for the Red October. Man, that movie was made in 1989, and Alec Baldwin was so sexy. <laughs> there I go again. Anyway, what is it with me and men in uniform that have authority or carry guns? Like, I mean, David Duchovny? He is so sexy. <laughs> Enough, some control, please. So anyway, I got a strobe light and it kicks ass big time. When we have to go back to school, it's going to suck. I have so much more fun when I don't have to worry about school and work. Oh shit, Jen and I still have to do our sex ed project. Well, that's all for now. Bye bye. Can I ask you, Ottawa, is anyone in the room a fan of the television series Star Trek? I am glad to hear that. Why? Because our next reader, Nikki, is going to share what she describes as a cat version of Star Trek. Please welcome Nikki to our stage. I was super nerdy. Cat Trek. Yes. <laughs> History made. Space, the final frontier. These are the cats and the catsets, which have one mission and one mission only to catly go where no cat has gone before. <laughs> Captain's log, stardate 12345.54321. We are closing in on the planet Catalicious to see if life is possible. Captain Catard, Captain Catard, called Mousley. Upset by the interruption, I turned around and glared at the young cat. What? I almost shouted. The Fleenons, they're attacking the ship. We both fell over, fell to the ground as the ship rumbled. We ran to the cockpit, and I quickly took my seat before my head collided with Counselor Joy's. Shields up, I commanded from my seat. What made them so angry? I asked, angry at myself for asking such a stupid question. The Fleenons are always shooting at us, just for fun. Did any of the Fleenons itching powder get on board when they attacked us? Dr. Mouse asked me. No, I said, not yet. And then I started vigorously scratching behind my ear. Ow! Ah! Ay, ay, ay! These sounds were heard all over the ship. Doc was all over the ship, tending from one cat to the next. Not fair, I heard someone mutter. Then I got it. The plan. Stop! I shouted, and the crew did. The twitching, the scratching, the itching, everything. As you know, Fleenons are allergic to cat fur. From now on, when you brush your ears, fur, and body, clean out your brush, comb, or slice. There's an asterisk here. I made up a word. A slice is a comb or a brush. (laughs) 
and put your fur in a bag. We will load the fur and in derelizes another asterisk. This is a cannon used in space. And when the Fleenons attack, whammo! Their history. They stared for a minute and started laughing and saying how dotty the idea was, but how smart I was to conjure up such a brilliant scheme. After everyone was cured, we made a detour toward Catalicious. Batat, Joy, Ripper, and I got aboard the transporter. When we got to the planet, we bombed them with fur balls and quickly got back to the ship. Bold capital letters, two years later. Captain's log, stardate 34567.76543. Captain Qatar died of old age. But his plan worked. Fleenons don't attack the Enterprise anymore. But we have heard that they have purchased a large supply of brooms and air freshener. The end. Thank you. I grew up in the 1980s, and like a lot of kids from that time, I got really into the Transformers. I watched the Transformers cartoon show on TV, and even though I never got one, there was a point in my life where I wanted an Optimus Prime toy more than pretty much anything else in life. In the year 2007, they rebooted Transformers with a big-budget movie, and at the time, our next reader, Fadili, was 11. And as you'll hear from her journal, Fadili was very excited to see the Transformers movie. A quick heads up, Fadili uses a cuss word in her journal, which we do not believe. Just a heads up, I had to translate this from French to English. So, Dear Diary, I'm always trying to make excuses to justify why I don't write every day. But I'll be honest, it's not easy to write every day. The days I wasn't writing, I was reading a book about a 12-year-old Canadian girl whose two brothers went to fight in World War II. She also had a hard time writing every day in her diary. (laughs) But she wrote more frequently than I did. (laughs) So I'll try writing more often. P.S. A new movie just came out in theaters, Transformers. From cartoon to real life, I gotta see it. (laughs) It's kind of boyish, but I don't care. Sunday, July 1st, 2007. It's Canada Day. Canada is turning 140 today. I think it's here in Ottawa where the biggest party is. For now, I'm running in my bed and my two sisters are playing together. Mom said my youngest sister could sleep in our room, so she chose the upper bunk. We have a painting of a rooster flying in a plane in our room. (laughs) And she keeps saying, Fadili, give bread to rooster, yum, yum. (laughs) I gotta go to bed, but no day camp tomorrow. P.S. I'm going to see Transformers. Yes! (laughs) Tuesday, July 3rd, 2007. Guess what? (laughs) 
movie Transformers is officially out. I'm freaking out. And I'm going to see it. This is insane. The movie I can't stop talking about. I am going to see it. <laughs> I know I talk way too much about this movie, but I can't help myself. I'm going to put my pen down before I finish my entire diary. P.S. Yes! <laughs> Sunday, July 8th, 2007. I had found a cutout of the Transformers movie in the newspaper and I glued it into my diary. <laughs> Thursday, July 26, 2007. I looked over the pages and realized there's something I forgot to mention. Remember that Transformers movie I was talking about? <laughs> I didn't go to see it because of the fucking PG-13. <laughs> and I should add that I didn't actually write the F word. I had a bunch of symbols like in comic books. So I censored myself in my own diary. Thank you. In case you're wondering, yes. Fadili did eventually get to see the Transformers movie. Um, I don't really remember why I was so obsessed with Transformers, but I remember very specifically what happened the day I actually ended up watching it. It was just tears and screams of joy because I was so excited apparently to watch this movie. Looking back, I can see how much I've changed from that little girl, but at the same time, I've Change not that much because I still love these movies. I've moved on from Transformers to watching Voltron, and that's my obsession now. I do cosplay. I'm very obsessed with comic books, Marvel, DC, you name it. Um, I watch anime and manga. So I guess looking back, I think the Transformers movie was really the start of something bigger, <laughs> much bigger. Our next reader, Angela, is going to share a poem that she wrote when she was 14 years old. This is a poem that was written for school. It's entitled Black Like Me. And a heads up, this contains strong language. Please welcome Angela to the Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote at Good Stage. So this is a, a poem that I wrote uh, over 30 years ago when I was 14. My thought was that this would have been my response as an interviewee of uh, John Howard Griffin, a white journalist from Texas who wrote a book bearing the same title in 1961. So as Dan mentioned, uh, my poem contains some gritty language, which I have left in because it reflects things that have been said to me but I cannot bring myself to say the N-word in full, so I will say N-word. <laughs> Walking down a lonely pathway, before me stands a member of my color counter. N-word, he retorts, you stinking black ugly N-word. Hurts me, but it's not the first time in its occurrence, so I continue on. Finally, a sight to relieve my sore eyes. A fellow color member walks towards me. I smile. 
I stop. He's not smiling. He is a color member, 10 shades lighter than I. N-word, he scorns at me. Man, you're so damned dark. <laughs> I laugh. It must be a joke, but he's not smiling. I stop. Why? Why is he not my brother in color? Confusion, depression, black like me. Beautiful shade of ebony, Ivory Coast pride and joy. I'm a pure Negro, N-E-G-R-O. I am a Negro, not an N-word. My class raises me beyond those standards. I am black, black like me. Proud, ashamed, angry. Television is bombarded. African relief, they say. Help our fellow brothers. Is their love a lie? Waltzing up to the employment desk. They love me. They must. I'm black. Then why do you persecute me, black like me? Do not do this. We are all black together, stupid. The white man does not care. Be my friend. Boy, you are crispy. Burnt charcoal. Darkest thing I've ever seen. Why? You're black too. Why make me ashamed? Why do you embarrass yourselves? My dark color. It is not a reflection of my inner man. My heart, my personality, they're bright. But you make them heavy and dark. Sometimes I feel like a motherless child. Far, far from home. Black like me. Thank you. One more time for Angela. Reading my poem as an adult, I am struck by the layers and levels of insight that I had as a child, despite some cringe-worthy aspects, like when I introduced the notion of class. But I do like how I presented the interrelationship between racism and colorism um, that have taught us or have encouraged us to hate ourselves and turn on each other by putting up these artificial walls based on trivial aspects like skin shade, hair texture, and perceived class. And I also marvel on my wokeness relating to the hypocrisy of a country boasting about its African relief efforts, but at the same time showing great resistance to creating a level playing field for blacks and other underrepresented groups through employment equity legislation. And all of this made for a world of adulthood that was a scary place for a black 14-year-old girl to contemplate. What I wish I could tell the girl who wrote this poem is, ooh, child, things are gonna get easier. Ooh, child, things are get brighter. But unfortunately, I don't think I can. But what I can tell her is that while life doesn't get easier, you'll definitely get stronger.
When Marty was 10, he wrote a short poem for school, and he called it The Tale of Jacob the Whale. But he didn't just write the words. So it's also illustrated. So The Tale of Jacob the Whale. And uh, a little background. Uh, The names of all the characters are classmates who had crushes on each other. Or, or who are rumored to have crushes on each other, or who, in my view, ought have crushes on each other. So, the tale of Jacob the Whale. I'm going to tell you the tale of Jacob the Mighty Whale. Jacob was a mighty beast, the biggest whale in the East. Have you heard of Moby Dick? Jacob used him as a toothpick. Uh, one day, Jacob was swimming on the krill he was a nibbling. (laughs) Jacob was a humpback, prized by all the whalers. He smashed and bashed boats to bits and drowned unfortunate sailors. There's an artist's depiction. As I said, Jacob was a swimming and on the krill he was a nibbling. (laughs) Then he saw Mia the whale and for Mia he set sail. You can see the whale's tongue lolling out in ecstasy. (laughs) He got there with a flick of his tail, and Mia said, you're a hunk of a whale. (laughs) You can see that. You can see Jacob salivating. Together they caught fishes and assorted lobster dishes. On their way down south, where their baby would be born, they met an old whale couple by the name of Selena and Lorne. And I'll show you the picture, and the the subversive aspect at the time was it was a uh, sperm whale. Uh, Edgy material. When they got there, soon after marriage, arrived a young humpback in a seaweed carriage. They continued down south, all three of them together. Yes, down south, to that nice sunny weather. (laughs) The end. Thank you. Marty, ladies and gentlemen, there are two things that I loved about that. One is how so many people went, aww, at a child's drawing of a baby humpback whale. But also that Marty loved that krill nibbling line so much, he said, I gotta use this twice. It's beautiful. If you want to see the illustrations for the tale of Jacob the Whale, and trust me, you want to see these illustrations, check out our website, grownups.fm. That's where we've posted pictures of the original book Marty wrote. That's grownups.fm. Some kids have entrepreneurial tendencies. They'll babysit or start a lemonade stand or get a paper route. But as you'll hear, our next reader, Jen, she had some unorthodox ideas about how to make money as a kid. At our Ottawa show, Jen shared a few selections from her grade five creative writing notebook, including poems and a short story that she now describes as a cautionary tale about agricultural entrepreneurship. Here's Jen. 
Um, so, yes, this is from Mr. Beckler's class in grade five. Um, the Mushroom Company. <laughs> In 1976, when I was five years old, I went out to explore. It was summer, and I was imagining that it was a jungle. I was going to travel far, but then all of a sudden I heard, Jennifer, it's lunchtime! Oh, that made me so mad! <laughs> After lunch, I heard my mom on the phone talking about mushrooms. <laughs> I was still mad, and I, <laughs> and I told my mom I was moving out. <laughs> she said, where are you going to get a house? But I was ahead of her. I saw a bunch of mushrooms growing in the grass. I was going to sell them and make millions. <laughs> I picked all the mushrooms and put them in a box. I took my lawn chair and set it beside the box. Then I got my paints and painted a sign that said, Fresh Mushrooms from Jennifer's Mushroom Company, in wiggly letters that looked fancy. <laughs> Later, this freaky-looking kid came up to my garden center. <laughs> the stupid kid said, You can't sell those. Those mushrooms are poison. <laughs> <laughs> I would hear nothing of the sort. So I punched him in the nose. <laughs> For a week, I was depressed. That was the end of my mushroom company. <laughs> A surprise in my lunchbox. Mmm, <laughs> I said as I opened my thermos. I wonder what I have to drink. Yuck, it smelled like sweat and tasted like dust. And there was something in there. A voice inside said, Uh, what was I supposed to say? Just a minute. Okay, close the lid again? So I did. Just then I reopened it. Poof, cough, gasp, choke, help. After the smoke cleared, a genie appeared. <laughs> what is your wish, O oh master? First, I wish for another drink. <laughs> oh, by the way, how many wishes do I get? Only three, like the rest. Have you ever read a story with 12? <laughs> no, I haven't, but let's get on with it. My, now, my second wish is for a parrot on my shoulder. <laughs> he whispered magic words. Then a parrot of every color appeared. This was the last wish. So I asked him to stay with me and grant, my ev grant every wish I asked for. Mr. Genie, one thing. Why aren't you in an urn instead of a thermos? That I cannot answer, said the genie as he did my homework. <laughs>
that is Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids. Our show was recorded live at Yuck Yucks in Ottawa and produced by Jenna Meisner. Olivia Nashmi is our associate producer. Our music is by Poddington Bear and Lullatone. And our closing theme is Oh Dear Diary by Sloan. Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids is supported directly by people like you, the kind of people who make it all the way to the end of the show. So if you like this show and you want to help us keep making it, consider becoming a patron. Just visit the website, grownups.fm, and click the link that says support the show. I'm Dan Meisner. Thanks for listening. See